Verse 1, now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness, weaknesses of those... Sorry, I still can't see that. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached thee fell upon me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will give praise to thee among the Gentiles, and I will sing to thy name. And again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sorry about that. Okay. <clears throat> Something is wrong. Oh, this is wrong. All right, so thinking about the. Can you trust No, I've got a. So how does this fit in with it? How does this section of Romans 14, talking about this unity and how to treat one another, how does this fit with the letter, the whole picture? I mean, we started some different ideas, we've talked about different things, and now is this just a, Paul's like, okay, all done with that, let me take a detour here and tell you about some different things, uh, or what is the relationship with the rest of the letter? What are your thoughts? Or the other question, the example of Christ and how that fits. And then the other thing, the uh, uh, verse 4, and whether that is, you know, what it is, how does that go into context? Go ahead, Brian. Uh, one of the things I've seen in Romans is um, 
Okay, very good. My thoughts were similar along that line, but he brought the Jews and the Gentiles together at the cross with Christ. And so I think that's the whole point of the book. But what really hit me was in your prayer when you said you were the one offended, yet you made the first step. And so it, it took me straight to where he says, if you're offering sacrifices and you uh, know that your brother uh, is a, a offended at you, go to him. So the maturity in Christ that we come to, the whole thing is for our image to start looking more and more like Christ. And if we're not, when you're strong, you'll know because you'll be the one that goes to the one that's offended. Okay, so you're saying this is an example of the big picture and what Christ did for us, therefore this little thing, if we want to call it that, can you not at least get along in these smaller things thinking about what Christ did? Other, other thoughts? <clears throat> what about verse 4? You know, I, I hear that quoted a lot. I have a problem with that. But what is the context or how does that fit? With with the letter, with the with the whole uh, thing that Paul's telling, he didn't. You know, this isn't a. He didn't give us uh, talking points or blurbs to to use necessarily. Um, I think it's it's saying here that uh, the fact that he wrote all these things and and prophesied that one day the Gentiles were going to be somehow. Um, and so the encouragement of the scriptures is get along. You, you are one people. You, everyone has to find <coughs> salvation in God. Um, and it is through Jesus that does that. So um, read the scriptures and they'll encourage you to get along. Okay. Yes, you're in the back. Tommy? Well, he just, right before he quotes that, in verse 3, he gave Reference Psalm 69 to refer to the work of Christ and reproaches of those who approach you, fellow. So he's just quoting that Christ example and tells us about what the scriptures teaches. And then he follows that by quoting four more passages, you know, to emphasize the relation between Jews and Gentiles, but in the Psalms, Isaiah, and Deuteronomy. Right. Yes. Over and over. And it just amazes me the things that he uses. And sometimes it's like, wow, I never would have connected those. But Paul's using that Old Testament to do that. So in this context, he's, he's referring to those verses, those things that he has been talking about. Uh, the things written in earlier time, written, you know, for our instruction, obviously fits in a wide category. But specifically here, he's using that example saying, look, here's some things that Christ did. 
that were prophesied or were talked about a long time ago that were going to be a part of this process that God brought all these people together. These things help, help us now to understand that. That's part of your instruction reading that. Yes? Well, just like he keeps going back to there's one family, there's one plan. It's been the same thing the whole time. And he's going back to the Old Testament to say, look, this, this was the plan the whole time for everybody to be God's family that won't get to God. Okay, very good. Yes, over here. You know, verse 4 kind of ties a whole lot together. And it makes me think of the fact that, and I think this is one thing also that Paul's going to kind of lead to over there, is that God's plan hasn't changed. This has always been God's plan to have one people. And, you know, the Jews were just a road to that. But it has always been His plan to include both Jew and Gentile as his people. And going back to the Old Testament scriptures, which the Jews had, but they missed a whole lot, points that out very clearly. So let me ask you, who's he talking to? The Jews or the Gentiles? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, how, how, how would you apply that to both? I mean, it seems like one side is... Well, the, the same thing would apply to either side. You're not special. God chose you all, Jew and Gentile, to worship Him. One's not better than the other. You were both in His plan from the beginning. Just because He used the Jews first doesn't mean the Gentiles He cared for any less. And, and He points that out through the Old Testament Scriptures. Yes, yeah, so my point with that question is there's a benefit for both sides of this to look back and see this. And that's the passages that he quotes then, several of them, about how this was the plan all along. Even for you Gentiles, on. even for you Gentiles, God thought about you, planned for you, and this was part of the plan from way back. Read those things. Those are for your instruction. Yes, God. I was thinking of Psalm 119.50. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. The answer that I'm willing to ride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from old, I take comfort, O Lord. So they can take comfort in knowing these are the things God has always wanted. This is the things God has always promised. They can also realize that when they're afflicted by the others, the Jews or the Romans, that they can find comfort in the word. Very good. Other thoughts? So, verse 1 of chapter 15. Compare that to verse 1 of chapter 14. Almost reiterating, verse four, or chapter 14, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Verse, uh, chapter 15, Now we are strong unto bear the weaknesses of those without strength, and not just please ourselves. So, following that same idea, uh, on into chapter 15. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification. So, what's, what comes to your mind when you read that? And let everyone please, please his neighbor. Who is my neighbor, right? 
Okay? And who is your neighbor? Kind of hard to limit that in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, go ahead. Well, in, in this context, your neighbor is either a Jew or your neighbor is a Gentile. And those two groups never <laughs> were neighborly before. Yes. And so this is a, a big change. So, yeah, your neighbor, that, it's all, that term really is all-inclusive of all mankind. But in this case specifically, your neighbor is the Gentile that you're having problems with right now. Your neighbor is the Jew that you're having problems with right now. It worked out. Right. So what is what is the underlying or the base uh, principle here that we're looking at with this? I mean we we, we sometimes want to dig in there and find all the little details. We want to talk about the eating meats and keeping the days and drinking. But what is the underlying, what is the main message or point that Paul's trying to get them to see? What is, uh, what is it that, that you would take away from this that you could apply everywhere and not just the individual or specific details? I would say patience with all. Uh, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, we are two brothers admonished, and I will encourage the faith army, help the weak, be patient with them all. Uh, whoever they are, you need to be patient with them, but encourage them to come along. Okay, so patience, excellent. That would be one thing. Think about what that would look like in so many different situations dealing with one another. If you apply that, Patience. If you had, uh, you know, if that was your first goal in that. So I'm talking to you about something, and okay, patience. Because, go ahead. I think he's challenging them. Do you want to be right about this, or do you want to have fellowship? Um, sometimes we'll just, you know, you know, die on the hill of you know, whatever conviction and sacrifice. You know, Just the other day, we were watching a, a cartoon with the kids where an older sister and a younger sister were arguing about uh, something. It turns out the older one was right, and um, wasn't, the younger one wasn't willing to play with her because <coughs> when the older one is the mother. She said, well, do you want to be right, or do you want to play with your sister? And that kind of you know, made us grow up stop and think for a little bit. Um, I think that's kind of what Paul's going for here. Okay, so the fellowship, patience, fellowship, two things occurred. So that fact that that passage talks about, you know, the very the one in verse three, uh, you know, Christ didn't live just for himself, whatever was best for him to please himself. And then he and then he quotes this passage says, uh, "The reproaches of those who reproached thee fell upon me," which at first glance, at first reading, that just seems a little bit, a little bit odd. It's a little, uh, it's like. Okay, I, ha I have to think about this a second. How does, that, how does that make the point of me 
bearing with one another or accepting, uh, you know, some, some things, being patient and loving one another and putting others first. And I think the idea there is Christ, Christ didn't put himself first. He took, he took everything from all of us and dealt with that in a way that, you know, that was very graphic, very, you know, uh, painful, very uh, hurtful, and he accepted that. He did that. What, what are you doing? Is what Paul is saying. Yes. Right. So maybe that. Yeah, maybe that's my point. Is like, if I were writing this letter to the Romans, what would be your first? What passage would you go to and say, "Look, Christ did did a lot for you." What would you go to? Paul goes to this one. That's probably not the first place I would go, but it certainly makes a point. Yeah, when I have to put up with your scruples, that's you know so irritating. time that I didn't agree and every time that I just me alone was a tremendous amount for him to bear but he took care of your mind problems as well different perspective look at that maybe we sometimes read this like all right I'll I'll, I'll put up with it and I, I'm just barely on the edge but I'm dealing with it is that how Christ dealt with you it's like yeah I'll, I'll take care of your sins again but if I have to Paul well. in his writings speaks a lot about building up uh, I'm just going to look at all of his writings. He talks about building up. And, uh, you know, there, he talks about here about edification. Which, what is edification? What is edification? It's building up. And sometimes our concept of building up is to making sure that everybody is following what I think is what they ought to follow. And that's not always necessary. Sometimes that may help in building up, but a lot of times, what does it do? It It tears down. And, and there's a lot of these scriptures 
through these passages that would point you more to building up. I mean, there may be some wrong things that need to be corrected, but there are some wrong ways of correcting it, and sometimes we get involved in that. Right. Yeah, so, so what I'm hearing is the underlying things on this is what Paul's really after. Loving one another. He goes back to that. It's like, love each other. Love your brother. Love your neighbor. And while you're loving one another, here's some, here's some ways to, to do that and deal with these things. It's, it's not the other way around, whereas, all right, here's, here's the problem, folks. I know you had a problem with this meat eating thing, so I'm going to straighten you all out and give you the answer. And then, oh, by the way, you might, you're kind of loving one another, too. No, he's, he's saying love each other, and with that in mind, and patience with one another, now let's deal with this. Now how would you deal with this issue? Now that you're loving one another, and that's the most important thing, and patient, and putting the other person first, what's it going to look like? Now, what's it going to look like in every situation? That's, that's where he's pushing this. I mean, that's where he's going. Use that in every situation. Instead of, instead of demanding our rights and proving our point or, you know, insisting that it be handled a certain way or pointing out your your problems, love first might slow that down a little bit if we're thinking about one another that way. Yeah. And I mean the greatest command is to love God and the second is to love our neighbor. And people will know that we are disciples of Christ if we have love for one another. So this is really important that we get this right and that we show love and um, we, each of us, please our neighbors for their good to build them up. So that whole love one another, um, here's where it really gets hard and it's really important. It's so much easier, it's so much easier to do it selfishly. It's, that's the easy way. It's so much deeper, too, because he said that we have to do that. We need to stop fighting over the law, fighting over paganism, and all become one in Jesus Christ. And, and that's not just we need to do that. We must do that in order to be one in Christ and to glorify God the Father with one voice. So if we aren't, if we don't become one in Jesus Christ, then we can't become one voice of harmony to the Father of Him. Very good. Oh. <laughs> I can see it. I didn't lose my hand. And we'll, we'll always, I, I, I need to have self denial. That's my, my chapter heading, the little personal note, the note that was in there for study. Self denial on behalf of others. You know, I'm willing 
willingness uh, to yield uh, and uh, give up my rights because I love you. At the same time, I also have to yield and give up my rights to receive that admonition from you. You know, that two-way street there is uh, sometimes we don't like that ladder one too much, you know, because because pride is in our lives and we're having trouble putting that carnal person down. So this is a person of Christ that we're looking at here uh, and trying to emulate. And we, we know we will stumble and fall at that. But uh, if we could just get that locked in our mindset, what, what would Jesus do to be able to manage uh, in every case? Uh, that's not a bad question to ask ourselves uh, in this kind of discussion. And that is so much easier to do when the other person is at first. Right? <laughs> Isn't that if, if somebody's really humble and loving and nice and, and, and even if you're the one with the problem with, if that's the approach, it's like, okay, well, I think I can, I think I can deal with this. I think I can handle this. But that's not the instruction. That's not the, that's not, there, there is no you know, caveat there. There's no exception of how our side of the equation should be handled. I think we have some perfect opportunities to apply this right here in our church right now. We've got a study coming up where we're going to look at the use of church finance. What are the odds that every one of us is going to look at the scriptures honestly and come to the exact same conclusion? And how are we going to put up with each other if we have some different Bible-based conclusions? Or what about our different feelings about a lot of other issues that we've got a lot of perfect opportunities to apply? <coughs> I think so. Very good. I'm sorry, we'll be down after that. I think one thing important to remember is verse, uh, chapter 14, 20. Don't do anything that causes your brother to stumble. This is not just me giving it to you and you something personal that you believe. I do it just to please you. Now, we should give and take. I get that. But this is about causing a brother to sin. If I convince you something's right and you don't really believe it and you do it, you violate your conscience. And that's the main theme of this whole thing. Yes, Alan. Uh, verse 5, May the God of endurance and encouragement grants you to live in such harmony. God of endurance. That's sort of a big hint there. Uh, he's endured a lot. And uh, in chapter 12, he says to live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the holy. Never be wise in your own sight. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where it comes out to. Where do we think we're some better Right. And can you see that in this, this example of the eating of meats? Who was wise? <laughs> well, Paul was. Some of them were right. <laughs> and, and he's still telling them to deal with it the same way. Going back to what Roy was saying, for one, for one side of this equation, it was a moral issue, right? It was, it was a, they could not do that. It would violate their conscience. It was sinful for them to do that. It, it, it's not just we, we have a difference of opinion here and you think it's one way and I think another and both sides would look at it and say yeah, this is my opinion and I understand your opinion 
Now, I mean, we're talking about things that are more important to those individuals than just, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's fine. If, if we're forcing or if we're, say, you know, putting, putting stumbling blocks in front of someone, uh, so somebody has that conviction about meat, it's like, look, hey, let's get together, we'll invite them over. We know it's not real. We know it's not that's we know that it's fine. So let's let's put let's get uh, we'll have a big pizza party and we'll get meat lovers on everything and we'll have them over and, and we'll show them that that it's really okay. We're we're putting we're putting them in a place intentionally to cause them to stumble because they think in their mind, in their faith, in their belief. They can't do that. So, we have had some comments, questions during the last few classes about some things. I'll call them hypotheticals. I don't know if that's, I mean that in a bad way, but there are situations that, <coughs> it's like, what if this comes up? Well, let's, instead of, instead of trying to deal with each situation, like eating meat, let's, deal with it with the underlying principle, first of all, first off. You know, what if somebody believes this? Do we all change and do such and such thing? I, I would say there's a few things with that. I mean, number one, I, I don't feel like somebody's going to come into this and say, hey, I want to be part of your group, and next week say, hey, I don't think we should have uh, Bible classes. So I think you should all bow to me, you know, because I'm with your brother and put him about the So. Okay, hypothetical, right? But how would you deal with that? If somebody's visiting here, they're like, man, I just not, I just don't think we should have Bible classes. I don't see that. I don't think that's right. Well, dealing with that person in love. And how whatever that may look like. I don't know what that's gonna look like, but I can tell you that dealing with love is gonna go a lot farther than saying, look, you idiot, this isn't wrong. <laughs> yes. That issue about having Bible class, that is more of a collective issue, and not just like in Romans 14, one person can eat meat, one cannot eat meat. Both are fully convinced that they're right, both are doing what they believe is right, and one's, effect, one's action doesn't affect the other. And that would be a little different than a collective thing about the Bible. There, there's obviously something there. I would say Paul's principles are going to apply and how to deal with those things. It doesn't change the way uh, that we need to view one another and look at one another and defer to one another in, in, in different situations. So yeah, there are going to be some differences because there are things that we do here as a group Whereas I can go home and do individual things, and we can we can work on those and whatever and however that may look. But so there is some something there. I think it's how we took a step back uh, to fourteen again, talking about the conscience. I think one of the things that helps me is not think so much about the meat or. Uh, uh, 
or, the, or, or vegetables or anything like that. It's, it's, it's what the conscience is. God has designed that in us, and then we develop it, uh, and we use his word to develop our conscience. Here's the knowledge uh, that we, we put in with our conscience, together with knowledge, is what conscience means. We've all heard that and memorized. The conscience is the mechanism that God gave us to save us, if you think about it, to be able to process the word he's given us, to make decisions, to glorify him and live a life in subjection to him. And if we cause people to violate that mechanism wherever it's developed at, we're teaching them and okaying them to sin and other things in their lives that they have developed through that point or not, you know. And that that helps me understand this idea of conscience. I may have just confused everybody else in the room, uh, but that is such a crucial thing in our being uh, children of God is, number one, to have a conscience, number two, don't violate it, and constantly grow it. To be in line with God. Mm-hmm. And the more we're in the Word, the more the conscience conforms to that. Okay. Um, so, you know, he goes into the Old Testament and, and, and trying to build the endurance and, and Look what God has done, and this is the evidence or the promise or the guarantee that he's going to do what he's said he's going to do from this point on. So it has multiple purposes there, but I think that's part of it as well. I'm going to flip your scenario because it really happened. When I was a teenager, we had a family that worshipped with us. And he, they really, truly did not believe in Bible study. But the congregation wrote them so hard that for so long that they finally left. Who's the mature ones there? I'm sure there are lots of examples like that, things that we think are right. So to Tommy's point, um, I think that's an interesting point to consider uh, about, okay, so individually, you know, this person needs or this family needs me, this one doesn't, we've got to figure out how to get along. Um, it is interesting that um, the whole reason why certain meats could be eaten and certain others couldn't is to differentiate the Jews from the rest of the world, the Gentiles, right? So in Jesus, he lifted that 
differentiation, and now they're all supposed to be one people. So you can get pretty dogmatic, pretty quick about, look, you think you're better than me because you don't eat meat. And Jesus came and lifted that restriction, and the whole reason he did is because we're the same, and you can read scripture to figure that out. So, and then, but, but then you've got to think, well, that person has to go to church and congregate with somebody who uh, has a different opinion there. So, um, there's a fellowship question there, like, do we have to have two different congregations, one of the meat eaters and one of the <coughs> abstain from that? Do you, do, you, do you break fellowship over that? So, that individual issue has repercussions and has an impact on where you decide and who you decide you're going to worship with and if you can worship with that person. Um, and yet, the instruction here is please your neighbor, love your neighbor, show deference to them in unity because I think you're all, I think he's saying you're all one people. And that, I think you mentioned earlier, was the unity thing. That is unity in Christ. That is our unity right here. Because if we went down the road and, and discussed every single subject, there's probably not one of them where we would all agree 100%. So it's like, do we start another congregation? Do we, you know, we have 70 different congregations if every single thing we had to be in total unity on. So when he says be in unity, in Christ. That's what that's what brings a bunch of spread out different people together. It's Christ. And if you haven't heard, heard the joke about the two guys trying on the deck of God and the Baptist and the, and the Christian and somebody came to rescue him and found three buildings, you know, the Baptist building, and the guys were like, what are the other two? He says, well, that's, the, that's my old church building, but I couldn't worship with him anymore, so... Built anew. You know, I don't think I can worship with myself from a week ago or, or a year ago because there's differences there. Now, going along with what a lot of folks have said, you know, it's in one accord, but verse 6 of 15, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate goal that we glorify God with one voice. Paul said that so many times, so many other places. We are being one voice. So there's got to come a time where we're one voice. But we can't do that unless we do verse 7. Welcome them. So you welcome them, and then you become one voice. Right. And that, and that one voice is based on that Christ is the Son of God, the Savior. And, and that we can glorify him just you know the, this particular study in the last couple of chapters for me um, has really emphasized maybe how how difficult it actually is to keep a body of volunteers if you will together right and I think about all of the advice that he gave to Timothy all, all of the advice that he gave around elders and deacons and all of that stuff was was in order to keep a group of very diverse minds working together, right? There is so much effort put into that. 
And I, I think about the example that you've given. Um, in, in my own thoughts, in the past, I've been like, well, I can just get up and leave. And the reality is you can. You can get up and leave. And you can go to a church that more closely aligns. But look at the amount of effort uh, put into, no, try to work as a body because as you look at the analogy of the body, one system goes down, it affects another system, and then some elders are trying to, you know, trying to do this over here, and it's affecting this over here, and all this, all of this effort, and solely focused on what Christ can do for what we have. I don't, I don't know that we give the, uh, maybe the, maybe we don't have quite the understanding of this body parts put together as what he's trying to do here. Uh, we're a bunch of different body parts. And, and, we're, and we read that, it's like, yeah, yeah, we're persons, you know, the eye, the nose, and the big toe, and, and those types of things. And it's like, yeah, we're, that, that's fine. You realize how different those parts are? You know, they're totally different. And some of them, you're like, what in the world is that for? You know, what does it do? Do I even need that body part? And, and we still need to put all those together into this body and work together. And we can do that because of the unity of Christ and the consideration of one another putting each other first. Yeah, a lot of times you think, okay, different parts. You know, I get that. But those are the parts that need to work together, like you mentioned. And if anybody has dealt with any autoimmune disease, the first thing we learn there is your body parts aren't working with your other body parts. They're fighting against each other. And that is, is definitely a battle. And it's tough. It's hard. But, you know, that, that is a sign. You know, when our bodies don't work together physically, we have a lot of problems physically. And Paul uses this description of the body with many different parts. And the bottom line is, you got to work together. All the parts have to work together. You start working against each other, you start getting sick. Right. Okay, so our plan is to finish this book next class, which we spent a lot of time on chapter 16 in the very first class. So if you don't remember that, go back and listen to the first class. And a lot of the ingredients and, and things and details about his travels in the last part. So we'll, we'll finish that up. So don't, don't, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't get to the end. I bit my tongue yesterday. I didn't pull my teeth out. <laughs> Christ knew the 12 that he chose to specifically help him. With a small amount of time he had, he knew they were all different. He, we, we all know that. And we can really write a lot on that. <coughs> Yeah, just think of the way Jesus dealt with, with his uh, apostles, his disciples that he chose. And there's, there's different times that he did different things in different ways. You know, the one time in the boat and they're arguing about, you know, hey, we didn't bring your bread. You know, is that what he's talking about? And, you know, and he didn't turn to like, what are you guys doing? 
you know, it was later on, he's like, so here, let me explain this, and it kind of broke them along. And other times they're arguing about who's the greatest, you know, and, and how does he deal with that? So, yes. So there's another point I want to talk about probably in the next class. Uh, it mentions the Spirit a couple different times in here and working with that joy and peace and, and what that looked like in Christ in the Holy Spirit and with His help. So we want to discuss that some too. So. I think in the past, I mean, one of the reasons why this section of Romans has been difficult, I know we spent a lot of time going over it, but for me, it's because I'm afraid to be wrong in God's And that's not a bad thing, right? That's the conscience doing its job. And I think that's one of the reasons why we do see a lot of division around this. But then I'm reminded once again, or I need to remind myself once again, that if you're loving, that doesn't break the law, right? Like, you're never wrong if you're a loving individual. And I love how Paul puts that here and how Jesus puts that elsewhere, is that a lot of times in my fear of being right in God, I, I mess up, you know? And really, Jesus could have been right and unloving everywhere, but that's not the way that he acted, and that's, I think, for me, that's a takeaway. Yes, very good. Paul's looking at these people trying to do the right thing. They're trying to do the right thing, and he's telling them how to deal with, with one another that are doing that. So in, in back in, in chapter 14, verse 17, getting to this idea of the Holy Spirit, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, and right, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Those ideas then come up again as we're getting into chapter 15. Uh, mentions again in verse 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's obvious. I don't understand all about the Holy Spirit, but I, don't, I, I do think we brush over that a little bit sometimes because I can't give you the definites and the exacts, and I can't say, oh, well, that was the Holy Spirit doing this. But he's, he's making it pretty plain that these things work through the Holy Spirit. And there's many passages about that. I, I think that we, we hesitate to even give any credit to the Spirit and what the Spirit is doing in our lives and helping us in this joy, this, this peace, uh, this righteousness that he's talking about. And we need, to, uh, we need to give that credit where it's due. All right, we're going to pick up a few more ideas on that and then finish it out on Wednesday.